Have you uh, ever been freeze framed by a family member or friends you grew up with? And I think that's pro probably one of the reasons why some of us fear going home for Thanksgiving. We feel freeze framed. Uh, we feel like our yearbook photo when we were 13 and geeky with braces are how people see us and we can't break out of that frame and we find ourselves wanting to say but you don't know me I mean I've matured I'm not that person anymore I've achieved some things and I've I've changed and my folks have got this 13 year yearbook photo of me and whenever my American friends have visited home like Matt and Adri they always take photos of this geeky photo and send it to all the friends I'm like ah that's not me that's not me all of us feel freeze-framed in some way at some time, and that's why it's such a common theme in film, in literature, in, in culture. You think of uh, The Hobbit, any Hobbit fans out there? None? Come on, come on. Uh, where Bilbo Baggins goes off to war, and he's this war legend, this hero who sees victory, and he returns home, and they've sold his house, They've declared him legally dead and they won't believe a word he said. He was freeze frame. This is just Bilbo. Can't be a war legend. You think of the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. You know, where Will Smith is, he's, he's kind of got the street cred in Bel-Air. He's kind of a rapper, chick magnet, but actually at home, he goes home, he's just a little kid that ran away in Philadelphia. Freeze framed. Uh, I grew up watching... Uh, Knight Rider and uh, Baywatch and I'm always fascinated that David Hasselhoff is such a legend in Germany and such kind of a joke here. Why is that? Kind of freeze frame. The, the poor Hass, the Hass, you know? The Hoss? I say the Hass. Uh, we find as parents when Asher comes back from uh, college, we try not to freeze frame him. We try and go, okay, well, he's done some growing, some maturing. Let's not treat him like he was 16. And in this passage that uh, Shannon read, I'm going to continue it. Jesus is freeze-framed by his hometown. He has been qualified and commissioned at his baptism, called out by his cousin John, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world at his baptism, the Spirit descends upon him like a dove, and the Father says, this is my Son whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. And then he's commissioned, he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness, and there he enters this cosmic battle with the devil who tempts him, and he overcomes him in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says, and he returns full of the Holy Spirit, and as Shannon read, he returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And then he begins teaching in the synagogues and a report about him went throughout the whole country as he taught in these synagogues I mean he's kind of a if I can say it kind of a celebrity preacher now launched wherever he goes he's packing out synagogues people are speaking well of him amazed at his authority and his grace and then he returns home and the reception is underwhelming it's a frosty reception and they look at him and says, is not this Joseph's son? So he stood up. He's part of the reading team. He reads the scroll of Isaiah 61. 
And then he says, actually, the one that this is talking to, is, it's, it's me. And they just say, is this not Joseph's son? Verse 22. And he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his own hometown or honored in his hometown. So Jesus is being honored out there and dishonored at home the puritans have this had this saying that the same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay and so you see these very different responses to jesus ministry out there he's an absolute celebrity they're amazed and at home it's like isn't this just joseph's son i mean we saw this guy walking around in diapers you know we saw him go to little league you know fishing the Sea of Galilee. This can't be the one. Prophet is not honored in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over the, all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. And when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. They were offended, filled with anger. So not only were they skeptical and patronizing to, ah, oh, it's just Joseph's son. Now they are filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. And here you see a hardening of their hearts as they reject the one who claimed to be the anointed king and rescue, rescuer. What do we learn from Jesus who was freeze-framed by his hometown synagogue what do we learn from the prophet who was without honor well we learn firstly that jesus is a model of spirit dependent ministry this is not the heart of the passage but i just want to take a few minutes to help us to connect the dots from luke 3 to luke 4 here because as i said that Luke 14 begins, he returned in the power of the Spirit. And then he, Luke 18, stands up and says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, for he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And that word anointing is kind of a super religious term, isn't it? We think of kind of guys in a white suit trying to push people over. Oh, anointing. But actually, the word anointing simply means a powerful commissioning. And so Jesus was saying two things. Firstly, he was saying, I am the anointed one. In other words, I am the chosen king that you have been waiting for who will redeem and rule. But he was also saying, I'm going to do it, not reliant on my strength, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we see this theme, Luke of all the gospel writers highlights spirit-led Jesus with a spirit descends on him like a dove then leads him into the wilderness then he returns full of the spirit in the power of the spirit says the spirit of the lord is upon me that same luke this writer of the gospel who who wrote acts said in acts 10 38 we know how god anointed jesus of nazareth 
and how he went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. Luke is wanting us to understand that what Jesus would do in his ministry would not be from his own power. Though he was fully God, he gave up his godly advantage. He did it in reliance on the Holy Spirit as a model for you and I. And this kind of anointing of this king causes us to think back to David, the king, when he was anointed in 1 Samuel 16. And it says in 1 Samuel 16, Samuel the prophet took a horn of oil and anointed King David in the presence of his brothers. And it says, and from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord rushed on David with power. There's two parallels to King David and King Jesus. The one is that he was an unlikely choice. People expected a mighty political leader or a mighty military leader or at the very least a philosopher, a moral teacher. And here he comes, not teaching, not overthrowing governments, but actually preaching. He comes preaching the good news, proclaiming the day of the Lord's favor. He was unlikely. It was like David amongst his brothers. Oh, isn't there anyone else? Oh, that guy out by the sheep. Yeah, 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 get him. So this unlikely choosing of a king, but then the same empowering. From that day on, the Spirit rushed on David in power. And Luke is wanting us to see that the same thing is happening with Jesus. The Spirit is rushing on him in power. And I just want to say, beloved, this is an invitation to every single one of us to say, the Spirit rushing on us in power is not for the special forces in the church. It's not for those hyper-charismatics, hyper-Pentecostals, whatever you, you kind of think of like the Spirit-filled guys. It's for every single person who's trying to follow Jesus. If Jesus, fully God, did what He did in reliance upon the Holy Spirit, how much more are we with our weakness, our temptation, our sin, our frailty, how much more are we needing to rely on the rushing and the empowering, the anointing of the Holy Spirit? Amen. Amen. And too often we think so narrowly of anointing. You think, oh, Alan, he needs the anointing of the Spirit. He needs the Spirit to rush on him to, to preach. I want to tell you, Brian, as a businessman, needs the Spirit to rush on him. Sharon, as a full-time mom, needs the Spirit to rush on her. Logan and Lane, as students, need to be able to say tomorrow morning after they get baptized, Holy Spirit, please rush on me, anoint me, empower me for this day. Whether you are a manager, a butcher, a realtor, a mom, a teacher, a preacher, a nurse, we all need the anointing of the Holy Spirit to follow Jesus. And it's available to you and I. It's not an optional extra for the special forces. I don't know what rush you love. It's kind of human to want a rush, right? I love the rush of a wave. Love that. I'm going hunting this week. Don't judge me for it. I'm hoping for the rush of a deer in my sights. Don't hate me for it. We will eat the meat, all right? Some of you, like Dan, loves the rush of a fish on the rod striking. Ah. Some of us love the rush of our sports team winning. Others of us love the rush of a deal or the rush of a purchase or the rush of our shares going up. Some of us have unhealthy addiction to rushes through porn or substance abuse. They're less and more healthy rushes. But beloved, 
the heart is trained for transcendence. All of us need transcendence. And here is an invitation for the transcendence of the Spirit to rush upon us, not just for our own, oh, that was such a high, that was awesome. Yes, for that, but actually you see the rush of the Spirit on Jesus and then He goes around doing good. The beautiful rush of the Holy Spirit actually propels us to do good to others. And that's what's unique about the anointing of the Spirit. We prayed for Emma last week who felt the rush of the Spirit as the Spirit led her to give her kidney away to her cousin. And then she found herself going, oh, but I'm so weak, Lord. I'm leaning into dependence upon you. And so she gathered with our team and we laid hands on her. Holy Spirit, please, you've led her. Now please anoint her, empower her to this act of sacrificial love. And she did it in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then she returned kind of victorious but weak and we laid hands on her again just like please empower her heal her beloved can we see how earthy and normal the empowering of the holy spirit should be and everything the lord calls us to we say lord like jesus may i do it in dependence on you amen, amen. and then what we see secondly in this passage is that the bible is not primarily about morals or politics it's primarily about jesus Jesus loved the Spirit. He lent into the Spirit. But now we see Jesus actually loving the Word. And He's going to help us to read the Word in the way the Word should be written. And He's speaking to a hometown synagogue who is expecting a military or a political Messiah. And they are expecting Him to come either in the temple in Jerusalem or otherwise in the palace in Jerusalem. That's what they're expecting. They're not expecting this podunk one horse town carpenter's son to stand up and say you know this anointed king that you've been waiting for 600 years it's me and i just want us to catch the drama of this moment 600 years before isaiah prophesied that there is a king coming who's going to change everything who's going to rescue and redeem and now jesus has been preaching in all the synagogues He's kind of a rock star preacher. He gets to his hometown synagogue and they say, oh no, no, you're not preaching, you're just doing the reading. Now, Jewish tradition of the synagogue was there were seven people that took part in leading. There was a priest, there was a Levite, and there were five members. You would think Jesus would get the honored position of actually preaching. I mean, he's, got, he's, on, he's been on tour. His tour has been a sellout success. And now he's just, no, just be one of the five readers and actually we're going to tell you what you should read here we go i love the fact that it says and jesus went to his hometown synagogue on the sabbath as was his custom can we just take a leaf out of jesus book he loves the rush of the spirit but actually he has customs saturday the sabbath where should i go i don't have to ask i'm going to the synagogue i'm going to sit under the word and it might not be a rush but it's going to be good, like a good healthy meal. And I'm going to sit under the preaching of the word. I might share, but actually I need this. To be healthy Christ followers, we need both rushes and customs. We can't rush from rush to rush to rush to rush. The rushes are great, but actually the customs of just week by week sitting under the word of God are actually what makes us healthy and strong. And Jesus, just this humble member, just says, okay, fine. I've been on tour having these amazing preaching moments but actually i'm just going to read and he opens the scroll 
he reads the spirit of the Lord is on me he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor he sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives recovery of sight to the blind set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and then think of the drama he rolled up the scroll and gave it to the attendant and sat down Jesus reads the scroll and then he reads the room now in the synagogue you stand up to read and you sit down to teach Jesus had not been given permission to teach he'd been asked to read he sits down and every eye is fixed on him you could cut the tension with a knife did he have permission to preach no but he does preach and he preaches a nine word mic drop sermon the scripture you have heard is today fulfilled in your hearing that's it it's an amazing moment in other words he's saying you know this king you've been waiting for it's me you know this anointed one who would set liberty to the captives and pay a debt that you can't pay I am he it, it is me I am the anointed one it's not some political leader in Jerusalem in the palace it's not some high priest in Jerusalem in the, in the temple it's me here in Nazareth I'm anointed to set you free family Levites friends fellow fishermen neighbors I am he I am he what a sermon and they go from speaking well of him to now being filled with wrath so much so that they try and run him out of town and push him over a cliff why why it's because they couldn't see that ultimately the scriptures point to Jesus ultimately the the, the scriptures do not point to a political messiah or a military messiah or even a moral teacher that if you apply this your life will be good actually this one came preaching the good news if you are a moral teacher you come preaching good advice do this and it will go well with you Jesus came preaching good news not good advice that's what the gospel is the gospel is good news for those who didn't take the good advice and landed up in prison and that's why he said it's to the poor it's to those who actually go my life is a wreck who's going to rescue me i didn't take good advice i didn't implement good morals i need a rescuer that is what jesus is jesus is the supreme theme of the bible whenever we read the bible we need to make a beeline to jesus how is jesus fulfilling this what that my soul is longing for does jesus fulfill two minutes i want to speak tenderly but firmly to our political moment i said this last week two weeks ago i'll say it again in this room as one of your pastors i know because i talk to you there are some that are living with the thrill of political liberty and others who are living with the frustration the suspicion the anger of feeling political captivity that's okay Jesus has got room for us all but I want to ask you to hear his words it is me 
I am he. The one who ultimately frees you is not that one or not that one. I am he. This scripture, all that you've been longing for, is today fulfilled in your hearing. There are few things that can make a Christian's heart harden to clay. That is political disappointment. And I feel it with you. There are times of thrill and there are times of frustration and suspicion, but it's an opportunity to say, Jesus, may my heart become like wax before you, the one true king. It is you. It is you. And that enables us to be able to navigate through either political delight or political disappointment to say, ultimately, that's not what my heart is longing for and needing. Ultimately, it is you, Jesus. Amen? I'm tender. I'm tender because I know what it is to pastor people on different sides of the aisle. But I want to tell you, it was the same four years ago. I was saying the same thing. It was the same four years ago. And what we see here now is that Jesus describes the way that he is going to come and rescue and rule. And he lands Isaiah 61 by saying, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What a beautiful, beautiful idea. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And we're asking, what is he talking about? What is the year of the Lord's favor? How is he gonna come and set his people free? And, and the reference here, just stay with me. You've got to, I, I need your attention because this won't make sense unless you listen to a bit of history. The, the, the year of the Lord's favor to Jewish ears would be, oh, it's the Jubilee. The Jubilee was a command that the Lord gave his people in Leviticus 25. And it was a stunning economic moment of rest, rejoicing, and freedom. Every seven years, farmers were told to let the land lie fallow. Rest, let it lie fallow. Don't plant seeds or, or harvest every seven years and then every 40 every 50 years seven times seven it was kind of a jubilee on steroids where slaves were set free and returned to their families property that was sold reverted to the original owners and all debts were cancelled both man field and animal rested and rejoiced in the lord that was the jubilee and when Jesus said, I am going to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the Jewish people would have known, oh, he's talking about the Jubilee. Now, history will tell us the Jubilee was never obeyed, never carried out by Israel. One of the reasons why God judged Israel and took them into exile is that they were never gutsy enough, never faithful enough to actually do the Jubilee. You know what? It's great if you're poor, but if you're wealthy, the Jubilee is terrible news. It was like, no, I worked hard. I mean, I bought these fields and I've got some people that owe me a lot of money and I've got some slaves and actually I don't want to give them all up. No way. For the poor, it was really good news and for the wealthy, it was really terrible news. And what Jesus was saying is, I'm not bringing, I'm not coming to proclaim economic or political jubilee. I am your spiritual jubilee. I will pay a spiritual debt that you could not pay to God. I will carry the debt of your sin to God. I will break the chains of your, your oppression. I will bind up your broken hearts and I will declare you free 
from your forced labor. That's why in Matthew 11, Jesus said, come to me, all you who, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He was talking jubilee. When you read Matthew 11 through jubilee lens, you go, oh my gosh, this is amazing. My debts are paid. I come out of the prison of oppression. Satan, who's been kind of dark, crouching, he actually has to get back. And my, my heart, my broken heart is mended. That's the beauty of the jubilee. I want to ask you, are you laboring under the debt of sin that you cannot pay? Jesus is your jubilee. Are you enslaved by your past regrets, sins you've committed or sins committed against you? Jesus is your jubilee. Are you holding this broken heart in your hand? Jesus is your jubilee. He will bind up the broken hearts. Are you held captive by spiritual darkness? Jesus is your jubilee. Beloved, this morning our hearts can melt like wax at the good news. But it's only good news to us if we are poor in spirit. The wealthy in spirit, those that are like, no, I have earned God's blessing. I've been moral. I've taken good advice from the Bible, like Jesus' hometown synagogue. That's why they got so angry. The jubilee meant nothing to them because they were not poor in spirit. They were rich, arrogant, and self-sufficient. If we are like that, the jubilee will be bad news. But if we are poor in spirit saying, you know what? I've reached the end of myself. I am in debt. I am imprisoned. I am brokenhearted. The Jubilee, God's year of favor, is great joy and great rejoicing. The Jubilee under Jesus is not just every seventh year and not every 50th year. Jesus sets, through his death and his resurrection, sets into place an eternal jubilee for the people of God, where again and again and again we can receive the chain breaker and the debt repayer and the prison opener and the heart mender. We can do it again and again and again and live under his undeserved favor. Amen? Yes. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. There's a couple, Dave and Irene, who left for Wisconsin last week, who've been leaders in our church for many uh, years. And probably about five years ago, she contracted rheumatoid arthritis. At that time, she was running the coffee shop. She was just doing a great job, larger than life. You would hear her shrieks of joy, and, her, and you, you couldn't miss her hugs. She was just like, she worked the lobby. She was the life and soul of the church. But through her sickness, she fell into depression. And then she started to experience incredible anxiety and something akin to agoraphobia, just a real fear of being with people. And for about a year, she couldn't face coming to church. And this life and soul of the party shrunk into a prison of isolation. And Dave was so concerned and her son was so concerned. And my wife started to sit with her, have coffee almost monthly with her and just sit and listen and weep and pray and offer the encouragement that Jesus is your jubilee. It might not be overnight, but actually he's here to open prison, prison doors and open blind eyes and he's here to heal. And there was a moment where my wife challenged her and just said, you need to come and be in the presence of God and sit under the preached word of God. And even if you come late 
and leave early you need to come and Jesus is going to help you from your prison of anxiety and she did I remember the first she sat there arrived late left early she phoned Ronelle she said I sensed God's presence it was scary but I sensed God's presence I feel like the prison door's opening and bit by bit she'd, she'd come a little earlier and leave a little later and in the last year of them being here I said oh, I ran your back your back still wrestling with sickness but actually the prison door opened beloved Jesus is our jubilee he is holding out freedom he's holding out healing and sometimes that's not overnight but Jesus is can you bring him into the place of oppression and prison and guilt and shame he is our jubilee he is our jubilee there are some outworkings of jubilee as I start to come into land that are not just spiritual. That actually if we take the Jubilee seriously, there is a relational and there is an economic and a social outworking of the Jubilee. I wanna give you a couple examples. Firstly, if we understand the Jubilee, we will forgive people who have hurt us. Because we will say, Jesus, you have paid my debt of sin, therefore I am gonna release others from their debt of sin. Remember Jesus in Matthew 11, he uses jubilee term, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That's jubilee. And Jesus, our jubilee, wants to empower us to forgive our debtors, to release them. The danger of not releasing our debtors, those who have hurt us, those who have sinned against us, is that we close the prison door from the inside. Frederick Buchner talks about the danger of not forgiving our debtors. He says, to smack your lips at grievances long past, to roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontations to come, to savor the last toothsome morsel of both the pain you are given and the pain you are giving back is a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is that what you are wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. <laughs> it's a pretty bleak picture of what happens where we nurse and we rehearse and we hold Jesus, our Jubilee, wants to empower us to release our debtors and open the prison door from the inside. That's one of the outworkings. Renelle and I have experienced that this year of people who have wronged us. The power of actually sending them away debt-free is marvelous. I want it for you. I want it for you. Secondly, there's a social outworking of the Jubilee that we go to people who are imprisoned because of injustice. William Wilberforce, the abolition movement, was a great example of that, pastored by John Newton, who wrote the hymn Amazing Grace, and he just carried such a heart for slaves. And because of the Jubilee, he actually outworked abolition in England hundreds of years ago. I love the fact that this church carries a burden for those in human trafficking caught up. Part of the Jubilee is actually going and actually turning those things on their heads, saying, Jesus, you are their Jubilee, not just ours, amen? Let's continue to do that, not as our only cause, but as an outworking of the Jubilee. And then the outworking of the Jubilee practically is that there's a generosity of spirit financially that comes upon us. We say, oh, freely I've, I've received, now freely I give. Where actually it could be that the Spirit is rushing upon you in generosity, rushing upon you to let someone go who owes you some money or otherwise just go and pay 
someone's debt, their student loan or their car loan or whatever. I've seen that even this week. I've heard of someone, spirit has just rushed upon them and empowered them to a spirit of generosity. My friend's son has made it big on TikTok. I'm so cool like that. A 48-year-old who knows about TikTok, right? And <laughs> I will not do a TikTok dance. And, uh, and he got his first check, $10,000 from TikTok. He gave it all away. He helped pay off some of his friend's student debt. Isn't that amazing? And, and the father just, just told me with, with just tears, not so proud that he'd got the 10 grand, proud that a spirit of generosity had come upon him. My friends, Amen. that's part of the jubilee. Let a spirit of generosity, don't question a spirit of generosity because it often is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You act on it as the spirit gives you grace. You write that check. You do the Venmo. That's part of the outworking. I am so hip like that, man. Sheesh. Finally, man. Zell is free. Zell is free. Yeah, it comes through quicker as well. Familiarity with Jesus can breed contempt. And that's what happened with Jesus' hometown synagogue. Out there, people marveled at his words. Their hearts melt like wax. Back at home, ah, this is just Joseph's son. And so their hearts hardened like clay. The problem is we can actually begin to freeze frame Jesus ourselves. Many of us who've grown up around church, where we have this sense of, it might not be completely hard, but it's a bit patronizing. It's like, I've heard that. I've heard that. When you're going to get to something new and good. And Jesus is just saying, no, no, do you realize that it's not just the people who are getting baptized whose hearts need to be like wax receiving the jubilee. Every single one of us can receive the good news of the jubilee every day because Jesus is still paying off our debt of sin. He's still empowering us to release people who have debt against us. He's still empowering us out of our prisons of self-absorption and bitterness and fear. He wants to be our jubilee every day. But actually, we've got to repent of the familiarity with him that can breed contempt. It's a strange thing that most of the deadly motor accidents happen two miles from home. Why? Because people get so familiar, they start to relax. Oh, I know where I am. Familiarity can be very dangerous. And today Jesus is saying, please don't freeze frame me. Allow me and my mercies to be new every morning to you. Because I'm steadfast, I'm with you, but my mercies are new every morning. And you know what's even better? Jesus will never freeze frame you. He will never say, Brian, that's who you are and that's who you're always gonna be. Karen, that's who you are, that's who you're always gonna be. Jesus comes to us with jubilee, chain-breaking, debt-paying, prison-opening power, and he says, this is available to you today, now. Yes. And the amazing thing is Jesus, until we go home, will see us as people in process under construction. And he loves us for it still, but he wants more for us. And he just says, do you know what? 
You're not yet what you one day will be, but you are no longer what you were. And my jubilee power came to you then and it can come to you again, but will you keep your heart soft like wax? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much that it is you, it is you, it is you our hearts long for. Thank you that just with those same people who heard that you fulfilled the prophecy about being our jubilee back then, thousands of years ago, our hearts burn again, just like theirs. Lord, I pray that you would keep our hearts from hardening, please. Keep us from the familiarity that breeds contempt. Keep us from going to sleep at the wheel. Your jubilee power is available to each one of us. And beloved, before we call people up to be baptized, I just want to ask you, if you're saying, I've got real familiar with Jesus, but today I've sensed the Spirit melting my heart like wax, and I want to freshly receive His chain-breaking, debt-paying, prison-opening power. Why don't you just raise your hands quickly? I'm going to pray for you. If particularly you feel the Spirit melting your heart like wax from hardness. Thank you. Is there anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. Lord, come. Come upon your people. Lord, we are not what we will one day be. But thank you that we are not what we were. You are changing us. And I pray that your spirit would rush upon these men and women in power. They would feel the rush of your grace and your freedom and your forgiveness, Lord. Thank you for the custom of just sitting under your word and that you can do extraordinary things as we give ourselves to that. Melt our hearts, Lord. Melt our hearts. Lord, won't you empower people to send debtors away debt-free? Won't you empower people to radical acts of generosity? Won't you power people to acts of justice and mercy? May we be a people of your jubilee, Lord. In Jesus' name.